our scripture reading for the sermon is from Genesis chapter 32 today. Genesis 32, verses 1 through 21, invite you to attend to the reading of God's word. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers and the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau and when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him. And he himself stayed that night in the camp. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Oh, Father, it is your word that is before us, your word that stands forever. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that your word would run through us, that you would 
show us the reality and the beauty of who you are, of who we are, and who Christ, our Lord, is and always will be. In his name we pray. Amen. It's been, uh, <clears throat> it's been suggested there are two kinds of people. There are those who run to the fire when the fire is burning. And then there are the rest of us who run the other way most of the time. Or maybe we're somewhere in between. But um, out of 10 people, how many people run to the fire, would you suppose? How many run the other way? And how many aren't sure what to do? Well, you're in there somewhere. And it may not be a fire. It could be. But for most of us, more often, it is something fire-like that we either run toward or run from or aren't sure what to do. The reality is the world in which we live is full of peril, whether it has blazes and smoke. Sometimes it would be better if it were but that peril that fills this world also dominates our heart with fears. And you know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Some of those fears are hard to label. Sometimes the fears that have the greatest impact are the ones that have no label, and we don't know what the fear is. But sometimes it may be something out of your past, something that has occurred in the past that you have never dealt with and it's still there and it sneaks up on you and it trips you. It might be out of your past. It might be something very present like the circumstances in which you are living your life right now. Things that press in on you, pressures, decisions, lack of something. It could be past, it could be present, and of course it could be just the unknown future, the uncertainty, because we can't see around that corner. We, we aren't sure. We might prepare, but we don't know what's around that corner. And you know that. For Jacob, in our story today, it's all three. It's things from his past. It's things in the moment and it's the corner that he can't see around. But we can have hope. The reality is, and the big idea from this passage today is this. It's in the midst of peril, whatever that peril is, in the midst of peril in the face of fear, you can have the assurance of God's protection. You can have the assurance of God's protection for one, because it is there. And you can know it if you will learn to pray the prayer that Jacob prays. And if you will remember what Jacob seems to forget. But you can have the assurance of God's protection. We've been in the story of Jacob for several weeks now. His 20 years in the wilderness are almost over. Laban is in the rearview mirror. Family and possessions surround him, and lots of them. Canaan, 
The promised land from which he came lies ahead and he is returning. Jacob is a one, has escaped one conflict, Laban, only to run into another that we will see in this passage. His unresolved feud with his brother. You remember that story? Jacob's the one who stole the birthright from Esau, who stole the inheritance and then made off. And it's that brother that Jacob is about to encounter. There's, there's actually a, a literary piece to this text that gives some shape to it that you might have heard as it was read to you this morning. It's something that the writer wants us to get, wants the readers to hear and to pick up on. And so I want to help us with that because what he wants us to take hold of is this notion of two camps. Did you hear it? There are two camps. It's something that, is, that we, we, we might have heard if we had heard if we were speaking Hebrew because it comes to us once and then it comes to us in the form of our English words, two camps, twice. So it's something that we're to attend to. So I'm going to let it shape our time together with inserting something that I think is the centerpiece of this, this whole passage. The first two camps is, is what we see in verses 1 and 2. If you'll look, what you'll see is this, this story told to us that Jacob was on his way and the angels of God met him. Uh, that is the fact that the fact is that, that Jacob was on the move. He had his own people, his own possessions, his own camp, and they had parked themselves at a certain location. And as they did, another camp appears. In this case, a camp of angels, uh, messengers or angels. We don't know exactly how many, but, but from all indications, it's more than a couple. Because what Jacob sees is what leads him to see something that he had not seen before. I've, I've got my people, I've got my, my herds, but I see something that I had not seen before. And the reality is the angels that met with him on his way out of Canaan, remember that? Bethel, where he named that, that supernatural encounter with angels. Those angels have now met him as he re-enters, as he comes back. And, the, and, and what Jacob says is, this is God's camp. God is camping here. It's not just my, my, my family and all of our possessions and our male and female servants, but it's God's camp. That's what's embedded in this word, manahim. That's what it means, two camps. But what's, <clears throat> what's striking is the reason for that camp. You see, Jacob is is actually in a very precarious place, more so than he even realizes it turns out. Jacob has made a decision to come back and to, to deal with Esau. There was no geographical necessity for this to happen. Jacob made a significant detour. The, the land of Seir, Edom, is in the far south, and where, where Jacob was headed home was in the far north. So he's made a a detour of sorts in order to deal with something from his past. The reason is that Jacob has determined and discovered 
that past sins cannot be ignored. They must be dealt with properly before progress can be made. Jacob knows that. That's the reason for his detour. And it's something that at some level we know as well, right? Don't we know that? That although we may try to avoid past sins, they're always there in words that are meant to awaken us from our slumber. In Numbers 32, the people of God hear this. Be sure your sin will find you out. That's what's led, frankly, Jacob to enter into this dilemma that he's, that he's set before him. He's got to deal with his past. And these angels serve as God's protection. What Jacob saw was not unlike, in fact, maybe very similar to what a young boy saw who was serving Elisha. You might remember this story. 2 Kings 6, the king of Syria was warring against Israel. Elisha alone opposed him. He was good at that, just opposing kings. The city of Dothan was surrounded by the Syrian army of horses and chariots. And the little boy asked Elisha, his servant says, Elisha, what shall we do? And Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That was the reality that had been unseen. There is always a reality for us that's unseen, right? There's an unseen reality. Hebrews says that, that faith is the assurance of things unseen. And what it is that Jacob now sees that was formerly unseen was this host of protective presence of the Lord. The Apostle John will tell us, little children, you are from God and have overcome those who are in the world. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. With that assurance, Jacob and we would be ready to take on whatever that obstacle is. We'd rather have a visible army, right? But that's not the way it works in this world. And God in his kindness helps us to see what we cannot see now with the eyes of faith, to be able to see that God is present, that he is at work, that he has provided and he is with you, friends. How easily overwhelmed we are when the obstacle in front of us is so large. And yet we, because it's so large, we fail to see God's presence. Haven't you been there? When the obstacles in front of you are so large that that is all you can see, I mean, it's like this. I can't see through it. I can't see clearly because there is something blinding me from it, from the reality that I am to take hold of. You know, in the New Testament, one of the things we see that is that the Holy Spirit supersedes, not replaces, but supersedes the work of angels. That's probably why we don't have as many encounters with angels because we have the Holy Spirit who, who indwells us, who is our comforter. 
And yet it is true, it's, it's as true now as it was then, that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. There is protection, friends, in the face of whatever obstacles rattle your cage. And some of you may be rattled right now. But know that there is a presence. Know that there is, there is protection from the one who loves you. That's the first two camps. Jacob's and the angels. It's protective. It's what we're supposed to pick up. The second set of camps is, is when Jacob then divides his into two because of the peril that he's facing. He sends messengers ahead, verse three. He sends messengers. We don't know if they were spies or a scouting party or if there was genuine sincerity. We don't know really from the text what's going on there, but he sent an embassy ahead with a message. And the message is significant. And the message gives us a little bit of a window into what maybe has gone on in Jacob's life. Did you hear what words he gave to these emissaries? The, the embassy is to go to Esau and to five times to tell him when asked, who are you? Where are you going? To whom you do belong? What is your purpose? The answer is this. Tell them, use these words, tell Esau. My Lord Esau, my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob, that my, I'm come to you that I might find favor in your sight. From all appearances, Jacob is preparing to approach Esau with a new humility. Is this a new Jacob? It sure sounds like a new Jacob. The me first brother now content to be last. It may be Jacob's dawning, if not growing awareness of his own sin. But he does this preparation, this precaution because of the threat that Esau poses, no doubt. You remember the last words Esau was recorded as saying in Jacob's presence? In chapter 27, verse 41, Jacob heard these words. I will kill my brother Jacob. Rebecca, the mother of them both, said to Jacob, I will send, go away. I will send word to you when the coast is clear, when his anger has subsided. I will let you know. 20 years later, no word from, from Rebecca. And the messengers return. We found Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. What you don't know at that reading is 400 was typically the size of a militia in those days. So Esau's silence and his rapid approach are in force are nothing but ominous. Nothing could be more ominous than that. About this passage, Matthew Henry said, angry men have good, long memories. So Esau's threat is real, and so Jacob's precaution is in order. 
we read in verse seven that he was greatly afraid and distressed. I guess so. Greatly afraid and distressed. Whatever courage he had in the sight of that band of angels, that camp that called God's camp, whatever, whatever courage that had put into him by now is faded. Just a, a couple of verses later. But you know, we're kind of like that too, aren't we? Whatever, whatever courage is here in a moment is sometimes gone the next. And, and it seems that he has lost sight of God's protective presence. He's just trying to do the right thing. And it's blowing up in his face. But you know, when you're trying to do the right thing and it blows up in your face, that's when you find out why you're trying to do the right thing anyway. Is it to make your life more comfortable? Is it to ease a guilty conscience? Or is it because it is the right thing that God has commended in his word? Sometimes it will blow up in our face. But Jacob watches this story and he takes action. He divides his camp into two, thinking that if one is attacked, then the other will escape, perhaps. But the reality is, if he had only remembered what he had just forgotten, that perhaps he would be less concerned for the safety of his two camps. There's a place to prepare, and we do that, but there is a place to pray, and that's just what Jacob does next. And what is perhaps the heart of this passage, Jacob now prays. I want you to look at that in, in verse 9 through 12. Let's look at, look at Jacob's prayer. Uh, while we, we need to plan, but that's not where our confidence rests. Ultimately, it is God who protects, guides, and keeps. And that seems to be now dawning on Jacob as he hits his knees. And, and I wanted to look at this prayer in, in two ways. One is uh, what he pleads before God. He pleads certain things. He pleads the name of God, verse 9. It's the first time Jacob addresses God as Yahweh. That's his covenant name. When asked, who shall I tell Pharaoh has sent, you, sent me? Tell them I am sent you, Moses. This is the covenant name of God that, that we will learn about later. But, but, but Jacob calls him by name. He, he pleads the name of God. He pleads the covenant of God. He, look at the words. God of my father Abraham. God of my father Isaac. That is the story which is his own. He says, it is your promises to your people, God, that have me on my knees. You're the one that I look to in the face of fear and peril. And remember, and he pleads the acts of God. Remember, Lord, the deeds, the number of them, and it's plural, the deeds of your steadfast love, the various ways, the repeated ways that you have loved me and you've been faithful to me. Remember the ways. And he might even list them. Ultimately, in verse 11, he pleads the character of God when he when he says, and deliver me, you're a deliverer, deliver me from the hands of my angry brother. It's the character of God that he has in mind there. The acts and the character of God, they go together. He pleads those things, the name of God, the covenant of God, the acts of God, the character of God. But notice too, the posture that he takes as he does so. And for many of us, this is where our prayers shrivel. We may know the words, 
We may borrow words, but the prayers that we are to pray along with Jacob are marked in verse 10 by humility. When Jacob says to God, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy of that kind of love. I'm not worthy of the many ways that you have loved me. I'm not worthy. It's not that you owe me that. I'm not worthy of it. But I'm coming to you in the face of fear because of who you are. Second in verse 10, the posture that he takes is not only marked with humility, but also gratitude. He says, I've, ultimately, essentially, he says, I came with a staff and I leave with, a, with, with an inheritance. I've got enough to divide it in two and be okay. I have enough with humility, gratitude. In verse nine, if you jump back up, one of the, one of the features of his posture is obedience. I'm returning to the land at your direction. I'm following what it is you've revealed to me. That's the posture of his prayer. And then the last thing to note about his posture is that he's totally honest when he says, I'm afraid. You know, sometimes that's what my prayer, our prayer needs to include. That kind of honesty. I'm afraid. And I'm, and I'm okay to admit it. And I can admit it to you if I admit it to God, I'm afraid. You know, what is striking is that we don't know, we don't see in this, this particular text before us. This story will unfold next week. Stay tuned. But we don't see an answer to his prayer because life happens. And now as he gets up from his prayer, there is an encounter that he's about to engage. But maybe he's now ready. Derek Kidner says about this passage, Jacob is finally developing a right relationship with God and so now can develop a right relationship with his brother. You know, that second one is not going to happen unless the first does, right? I mean, that is where it starts, a right relationship with God. When, when we're made right with God, when God makes us right with him through the finished work of Christ, we are then now in a, in a position and a capacity to love others well and to love others selflessly and to deal with issues of the past, but only if we are right with God first. So... <laughs> We have two more camps. There's Jacob's. And then there's Esau's. Jacob's relatively unarmed camp and Esau's thoroughly armed militia are about to meet one another. And in preparation for that, what, what Jacob does, what he, what he does in order to meet Esau is elaborate. It's lavish gifts. He comes with lavish gifts. And if you do the math, it's, it's a caravan of five herds with 550 animals plus. 500, 220 goats, 220 sheep, 30 camels, 50 heads of cattle, 
30 donkeys, all appropriately separated and staged for maximum impact. Each herd accompanied by servants who have a message to deliver. When asked, who are you and where are these from? These, my Lord Esau, are from your servant Jacob, and he is to follow. And just as one herd makes its way past, around, around the hill comes another five times. What a story. What, what a drama. And yet, we kind of wonder about this. How effective is this going to be? Jacob, on one hand, doesn't really know. But is it prudent? Is it right to extend those gifts? Is it right to plan? Is this the old Jacob not trusting God, relying on his wits? Perhaps as the story plays out, we will learn. How does pious prayer square with frenetic activity? Have you ever wondered that one? How does prayer and activity go together? Uh, John Calvin on this passage says it may be a sign of faith. In fact, he says it is a sign of faith that Jacob did not sit back and do nothing, that he did act, that he did plan, that he put some things in motion. And then he went on to say, perhaps it's a mixture of faith, fear, and doubt, which I kind of tend to agree with. And the reason I tend to agree that it's probably a mixture of faith, fear, and doubt is that's usually where I live. <laughs> it's usually where we live, right? It's this blend of faith and fear and doubt. And if that is you, meet Jacob. And let's see and watch how this story unfolds. You know, he, 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 he moves into this with a plan, but also with a, a huge degree of uncertainty. Did you hear the words, perhaps he will accept me? He doesn't know. Will he accept my gift or not? I'm offering the best I have. But we know that too, whether it's interpersonally, but more significantly, the bigger question for us is, does God accept my gift? I'm offering the best I have. Does he accept my faith? Is my faith solid enough? Is it consistent enough? We offer the best we have. Perhaps God will accept me. Perhaps I will find favor in his sight. And if you've ever wondered that, if you wonder that today, you need to know this. We all need to know this all the time. We need to see what Jacob saw and failed to remember. That God camps with us. The Apostle John wrote these words. John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and pitched a tent among us. The word became flesh and camped among us. 
And because the word became flesh and camped among us, this, this picture that Jacob has in front of him that he tends to forget is the same picture we have in front of us. And guess what? Tend to forget that God has camped among us, that God took on flesh, that his protective presence is for real and for good and forever. It was Jesus who camps among us. And that's why you and I can have the assurance of God's protection in the face of great peril. Because it's in the face of that peril that God pitches his tent. He is with you, friend. He, he is here. He is in the midst of that greatest obstacle and peril, whether it's from your past, the present, or the future, or all three, that God has pitched his tent. And so we can take Jacob's prayer and make that our own. We can use his vocabulary, his categories, to pray to God, the one who is faithful, who is steadfast in his love, whose name is love, whose name is Yahweh, who is faithful to his presence, and to say we are unworthy. We are unworthy of the lavish love of Christ for us. We can take Jacob's prayer and make that our own. We can, second, we can remember what Jacob seems to forget, that God's protective presence is with us. It was Jesus who said, I am with you always to the end of the age. <clears throat> you know, this Jacob, he prayed to the, the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob. And eventually, God would be referred to as the God of Jacob. We take on his name. We, we take on Jacob. We are Jacob. So in Jeremiah, when we read these words, we take heart and hope. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, for I am with you. We take hold of Jacob's prayer. We take hold of what Jacob seems to forget. But ultimately, friends, we take hold of Jacob's deliverer because he is our deliverer, not from an angry brother, but from the domain of darkness. That darkness that enshrouds, that darkness that presses in, that darkness that creates peril and fear, we've been delivered from that realm. Oh, it still shows up. There are still obstacles in our way. There are still battles to be fought. But we have been transferred, friends, from the kingdom of darkness. We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness because the deliverer that Jacob looked to is the one that we look to today. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul said, he is the one who has delivered us from the domain of darkness. But there's something that we can't miss in Jacob's prayer. Jacob prays to God and says, you're the one, Lord, who said, I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea. And he didn't coin that phrase. Where did he get that? It is the same phrase. It is the same words that Abraham heard from Yahweh when little Isaac was tied to a fire that was never lit on Mount Moriah. 
How many times do you suppose Isaac had told that story to little Jacob? Jacob is saying, that story I heard from my father growing up, I'm claiming that promise right now, Lord, that you are a deliverer and that as you have delivered my father and provided a lamb, you will deliver me in the face of Esau because you have provided a lamb for the sins of the world. In Acts, we read, this Jesus was delivered up. He was delivered up. The deliverer delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God. And Paul writes in Romans, citing Isaiah, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. All the people of God will be saved. For it is written, citing Isaiah, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Not the man, the people. The people who are us. <laughs> the people of God. It is, it is that promise that we note today that the God who rescued Isaac and provided a lamb is the one who delivers us up, delivers us from because he delivered up his son. The deliverer will come from Zion. Here's actually how Isaiah put it. And a redeemer will come from Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. Is that what we see in Jacob here? A turning from his own transgression? This humility that he had never had before? This me first brother willing to be last? This rewiring of the soul in such a way that we begin to see I'm, everything I am, I owe to another. That I'm not worthy of all of God's goodness to me. I'm not worthy of this lavish inheritance that God has provided. I am not worthy of your deeds, plural, of sacrificial servant love of me, your steadfast love and your faithfulness. I'm not worthy. You see, that is the posture that the God of Jacob works into Jacob. It's the posture that he, he works into his people, the bride of Christ. And you can claim that promise, that promise of God's presence. You can claim it today with Jacob. Have you? If not, will you? Jacob sought favor with an estranged brother. And in Christ, we are granted favor with a holy God whose love is without end, whose presence is always and forever with you. Father, would you help us to remember that? Would you help us to remember what Jacob seems to forget? Lord, would you help us to remember what we seem to forget? Impress that deep into our souls that our love for you would grow. The one whose love for us is endless.